This is Austin Michaels, and we are in season six, the second episode. And last week I did an introduction into some of Salvation Army's doctrines and positions on the sacraments, mainly baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so this is part two. Since we did the introduction last time, we are going to view the brief history that Robert E. Robert E. Thompson writes about. And um, so let's read the first um, thing he says, which is on page three. He writes, The first record, record of infant water baptism, as opposed to adult baptism, comes from the second century. The first recorded case of pouring rather than immersion was not until 251 AD. The observance of Lord's Supper has an earlier history with allusions to it in Paul's letter. End quote. Now, Robert Thomas um, just to start out um, will contend in later in this article that baptism and the Lord's Supper were not ever commended for the church to um, do or, or observe. And so he will actually um, show us how Will and Booth actually eventually um, would throw away those practices, believing that they're not scriptural, at least to do, to observe, because he's afraid that by observing them, people won't confess their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. At least they might instead think salvation comes through the actual rituals and not through personal confession and faith in Jesus Christ. So he'll eventually do away with it um, because of that and because he believes that they're not actually commanded. Now, Robert Thomas, who's doing a brief history, um, I'm not sure if it just if he's an accurate history, or if he the how good of a historian he is, because he writes that the first recorded case of pouring rather than immersion was not until 251 A.D. Now, he's kind of suggesting that perhaps this was a later practice, a pouring was. 
because it was not recorded to, until 251 AD, at least what he thinks, uh, at least what he found. And I do know that over time we find more early church fathers' writings. Um, the first recorded instance found in church fathers of anything doesn't really mean that around that time it would have started. It all you can assume, um, all you can logically assume, is that the first recorded instance is simply the first time it was recorded. They could be practicing practicing something a lot longer. Now, if it's first recorded, let's say 251 AD, for example, that means they probably were practicing practicing that for a while and then they record it in the era. I mean the first practice wasn't a first recording probably. It means they recorded something that they probably were already practicing. The real problem I find with this statement is that he's completely wrong about the first recording in 251 AD. In fact over a hundred years wrong. And so I wonder if he just uh, did not do enough research. In a teaching of the Twelve Apostles that's dated moderately no later than 120 AD, so 120 AD would be probably the tops. In other words, it's probably earlier, but the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, um, to give it a later, safer day, I suppose, Professor Matthew Brown Riddle uh, dates it 120 AD, between 80 and, well, 120 AD. Now, Hilgenfeld does give a late, late, the, the latest date of 160, 190 AD with the teaching of 12 apostles. And we'll look into that for just a little bit. What is the teaching of 12 apostles? Uh, or at least just a quote from it. Most American and English scholars give us a date between 80 and 120 AD, which is probably more accurate because if you read the writings of the Apostolic Fathers, Apostolic Fathers, um, it does quite well coincide with how they wrote, almost very well. Barnabas and others who spoke to the Apostles themselves, Ignatius, um, Clement and Rome, it just, it just so well fits with those writing styles, not with the Apostolic, with the Apostolic, fathers that did a lot of apologies. Um, and so, given a, a date between 80 and 120 AD fits very well with the writing style. Most part. Now, there are added things in there. And in the teaching of 12 apostles, which is stated is about 120 AD at most, it says, and I quote, and concerning baptism, thus baptized ye, having first said all these things, baptized into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in living water. But thou have not living water, baptized into other water, if thou canst not in cold, in warm. But if thou have not either, pour out water thrice upon the head in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let the baptizer fast, and are baptized. And whatever others can, but thou shalt order the baptized to fast one or two days before. 
Now, this says that the practice between AD 120 AD was pouring out of water if he did not ha have um, running water, if he couldn't find a pool, if he had to, he didn't have very much water, then pour water on the head. So he gives a first record date of 251 AD. You know, that's 130 years off or more. So it just, you know, shows me that he's completely wrong with that. Um, so I don't know how good of a historian he is. And Eusebius would even, um, some people, I guess, he records, it was a dispute whether the teaching of 12 apostles we're supposed to be in the canon. So this means this this date of the teaching of the twelve apostles is quite early. Around the can time of the canon or late just later. Um so to argue, you know, any argument based on the first recorded instance, first of all, just means it was first recorded. That's all you can assume. Arguments out of silence is opinions at best. Just because the church fathers are silent on a subject doesn't actually mean that, that when they first record that subject, that that was the first around that time where they started to practice that. There's, there's no proof of that. It just, we know that the, really the Episodic Fathers, I read through every single one, though there is quite a number of pages if you add them all up, they don't really contain that much writing compared to the whole millions of Christianities and how they practice. Um, and they definitely don't go over every single subject possible. They're limited in what they wrote about. They didn't write about every single subject. And there are other writings that we know that existed in the first century that we don't have yet of copies. And so if you're going to argue at all in the next sessions about the first recorded instance, that doesn't mean that it wasn't practiced by the apostles. It just means it was recorded later on. Plus, we have to remember that the scriptures are the earliest, most reliable records. And they, and they are the ones that matter, which we will... You know, constantly come back to the scriptures, in which um, Robert Thomas and um, Thompson, who writes this, and of course Will and Booth, will present scriptural arguments for or really against practicing the sacraments. And so I did want to point that out, I guess, to say um, I don't know how accurate uh, Robert Thomas' history is. But a second point, and it, on page three, he writes, Robert writes, Thomas Aquinas, 1224-1274, whose teachings remain highly regarded by the Catholic Church, taught that the only requirement for the receiving of grace is for the sacraments to be administered. This doctrine confirmed by the Council of Trent in 1545, affirmed that the grace of God is received directly through the sacraments. Now, 
taking his um, quote at direct face value of his historical analysis, this confirms what I said in the last podcast. Um, podcast. Um, the Catholic Church does believe the grace of God is received directly through the sacraments. Now, Robert's statement on page 2 says that, that there are uh, church traditions, and I'm quoting, that take an opposing view, believing that sacraments in and of themselves are a source of grace. Now, again, I, I've never heard of a church, a church tradition that says in and of themselves, just baptism and Lord's Supper is um, a source of grace, just in and of themselves. I, that's weird. I've, I've never heard that through any mainline denomination. Now, if you found some weird church somewhere that taught that, or if he's talking about some Gnostic doctrine, I, I, I don't even know um, where he's pulling that from. Again, maybe he is. But this is not at all mainline denominations in Protestant baptism or Eastern Orthodox, as I'm pretty sure that none of them even come close to teaching just in and of themselves there's a source of grace and sacraments. Um, so, it just makes me wonder why he said that. Um, I guess maybe he's just saying there's a random group out there that believes that. Well, okay. But that's not really um, practically necessary to say. Um Canon 7 of the Council of Trent states this, If anyone shall say that grace as far as concerneth God's part is not given through the said sacraments, always and to all men, even though they are rightly received them, but only sometimes and to some persons let him be anathema. So again, the Council of Trent does confirm, which is a Catholic council, that kind of was trying to pose the Protestant Reformation, again states that Catholics do believe that the sacraments are channels of grace and not grace in and of themselves. Now, to just, and this is just uh, a brief history, um, analyzing the brief history that Robert Thompson writes about. And so he um, just goes through some history, which I'm not sure how accurate he is as a historian. But anyways, he does kind of go through the Catholics believe on sacraments that they observe seven. Um, he says that um, on page three again, that Hugh, uh, Hugh of St. Victor uh, had 30 type of sacraments. Um, that he enumerated that Eastern Orthodox Church again sometimes has seven sometimes they say though it's kind of weird I know what Eastern Orthodox Church says it's kind of weird that that we number the sacraments because all life is a sacrament so they don't really like numbering the sacraments some of them some of them do um he goes through Martin Luther and um goes how the Reformation Church broke the domination's dominance of sacraments or system which had controlled Christianity, I'm quoting, for many centuries. 
Baptism and the Lord's Supper were preserved and highly valued, but now they were regarded more as seals of divine promises than exclusive channels of grace. And um, now I will say I agree with Robert Thompson and Will and Booth that the sacraments in and of themselves cannot save someone. Um, they're only outward, outward um, seals of divine promises is probably a good way to put it. I do agree with that. Um, and so, you know, I'm not disagreeing with Salvation Army's position that the sacraments can of themselves save you. They're just rituals. The Lord Jesus Christ has to save you. I do agree with that. And moving on, um, he kind of goes through his, just a really brief history of Protestant different beliefs. Um, there's a lot, some varying on their beliefs of the sacraments. And then he gets to William Booth, who's a Protestant, basically. And, um, and the Lord's Supper and Baptism was practiced by William Booth for several years. It was founded in um, 1865, which is, you know, end of the Civil War. Um, and then um, Salvation Army was renamed in 1878. Um, William Booth did practice uh, sacraments, but both baptism and Lord's Supper. He grew up Methodist. Um... Now he practiced from 18, uh, from what I understand, if he found a mission in 1865, it says that uh, Robert Thompson says he stopped practicing in 1883. Because he was convinced, and I quote, by the time William Booth became convinced of the great danger of his fathers, thinking that baptism and or participation in the Lord's Supper would bring them salvation without the individual having confessed his or her sin, sought forgiveness from God, and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, I guess William Booth, in part, stopped practicing the sacraments because he, he was scared people would start having faith in sacraments and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a Roman Catholic... I've seen Roman Catholics do seem to have faith in the sacraments. I think that's a real, a very real um, danger. I do think as Protestants, we do have to realize some people probably do think that salvation is really kind of in the sacraments, the outward rituals. Uh, definitely it's true of Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Church. Um, and it can be true of Protestants. So I, I do think William Booth probably has a a truth to that. I do think it, there's a danger. And so William Booth in 1883 said, and I quote, I cannot accept any obligation as binding upon my conscience. Neither will I seek to bind any on yours to do, to believe, or teach anything for which authority cannot be furnished from the Word of God. Now he says that to say he's going to end the practices of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now salvationists, according to Robert Thompson, are not saying you can't practice 
the sacraments. They're just saying they don't do it because it's not commanded. And if Christians do find help in them, they can. They don't want to say you can't do something. They say you can do the Lord's Supper. You can baptize. We just don't think, we, we don't practice it. They completely done away with the practice of it in their community, in their denomination. Because William Booth, as I just read, believes he can't really confirm the Son of the Word of God, which I find striking statement. Now, William Booth, um, again, um, Father Leadham George Fox, um, and I'm reading here, um, who founded a Quaker society. So William Booth was heavily influenced by um, uh, the Quakers. Um, and it says that, uh, and Robert Thompson writes, Fox and Booth shared the view that since the use of sacraments is not specifically commanded by the Bible, it is best that they not be observed. So again, they say it's best that they don't observe it. The Quakers and then William Booth, who's going to follow the Quakers. And so, believe it or not, they um, completely did away with observing the sacraments. Again, strikingly saying that scriptures never commanded any of them. All right. Now, it's actually the negotiations with the Church of England that Salvation Army, um, William Booth, actually was trying to negotiate with the Church of England is what caused him to find an end of practices. Um, I guess it, uh, Archer. Archbishop of Canterbury um, kind of wanted uh, Salvation Army religious community to be part of the Anglican Church and so it required them to perhaps be baptized maybe would women be allowed to serve would they baptize babies did they agree with the Anglican Church and all their ideas and etc etc well when William Booth considered it um he thought, well, there's just too many questions to answer. I'm not sure about all the Anglican Church. Um, and so, again, um, this is a um, history from Robert Thompson's um, book, booklet, little booklet. It's only several pages long. He says, after perforated consideration, William Booth decided that there were too many unanswered questions and turned down the invitation of and I end quote and he turned down invitation of the Anglican Church and so I want to read, read the last statement that um, in this section of a history of the a brief history of these sacraments and, and William Booth and Salvation Army's position he says the fundamental reason army leaders decide to dispense with the sacraments was theological. Through prayer, much debate, and studying scriptures, they found no direct command to use them. In addition to the primary theological consideration, a practical reality made the transition efficient. William Booth and, an, and the early army leaders were greatly influenced by the Quakers, who did not practice the sacraments in their worship. A significant number of early day Salvationists have had come from the Quaker Church. With a brief historical background 
um, we turn to consideration of the sacraments individually beginning with baptism, end quote. And so in the next lesson, um, we are actually getting to the exact arguments for why they don't practice baptism. And so we'll actually get to that, I think I say the good part, the actual biblical reasons why Salvation Army doesn't practice baptism. And so um, that last statement, again, the main reason why they don't practice these sacraments, it comes down to, they believe it's theological um, they believe that the Bible doesn't teach it. That's their conviction. And so thank you for listening. May God bless you, my readers, and may God help us understand as we go through Salvation Armies in the next lesson on baptism, their view. May God bless you.